Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast lore behind the Mass Effect games. Welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is Tom. I'm here with Sam as usual. Well, you guys, you guys know the deal. And we're a little bit late. I've been getting over a cold over the weekend, but I'm feeling better. And we are knocking out one last episode before we move on to the patron chat. And Sam, who are we talking about today? Um, well, before uh, in seven day, we went deep into the lore, right? As deep as we could go anyway, uh, about Greg and Charles. Now, it's time to talk about Dick. Uh, what? Yeah, you know, uh, Dick Jenkins. Oh. Also known as Richard Jenkins. Yeah. Oh. What were you thinking about? Uh, the word Dick. Because <laughs> it was... Anyway, yeah, we're going to talk about... <laughs> we're going to talk about Dick Jenkins. Good old private... Dick. Good old Jenkins. Oh man, we're hitting all the big popular characters lately. We're going and we're going. Oh yeah. Oof, Dick. Good old Dick Jenkins. Private Dick Jenkins. Yeah. And Nihilus Kyrick too. Private uh, Jenkins. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Private Jenkins first. Yeah. Okay. So wait. Okay. Um. Wait. Like, doesn't he die? Doesn't he just like? He's a red shirt. He's he's the equivalent of like in Star Trek, like the red shirts, like he's the guy that like shows up in an episode and everyone's like, oh, seems like a nice dude. Let's go down on the planet. And then he's the first one to get like blasted in the head. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that that is him. He's the trope. And for people who are listening to this and not watching our Twitch stream, I'm wearing a red shirt today. So, you know, it was a little bit thematic there, but both both he and Nihilus die like really fast and in fact they're both kind of red shirts in that regard that's why i thought it'd be funny to go into as much lore as we can about the two people who last less than one mission in <laughs> into mass effect one right and, and i think you at least i had better expectations for nihilus than i did for mr jenkins here being you know that he's a specter and all that but um okay so let's talk about jank let's talk about dick uh what is what does he even do on the normandy 
They don't do dick. Um, I don't really know, uh, to be honest. But <laughs> Welcome to the episode. We're talking about things we don't know anything about. Uh, but but given that he's he's selected for the ground team on the Eden Prime mission, I'd venture to say he's a Marine uh, or an infantryman. He, he fulfills that role, whatever the title is for him. Uh, but we do know more about his background. In fact, he's from Eden Prime. So he's going back home, if you want to call it that, um, uh, during this mission, and that must have made him feel at ease, maybe wrongfully so. So we can hear him talk about his memories of Eden Prime. We have a clip here. You're from Eden Prime, aren't you, Jenkins? What's it like? It's very peaceful, Commander. They've been real careful with development so you don't have any city noise or pollution. My parents lived on the outskirts of the colony. At night, I used to climb this big hill and stare across the fields back at the lights from the main settlement. It was gorgeous, but when I got older, I realized it was a little too calm and quiet for me. That's why I joined the Alliance. Even Paradise gets boring after a while. Any idea why Eden Prime was chosen as our destination? Not really sure, Commander. Eden Prime's one of our most stable colonies. Good place to take the Normandy for a shakedown run, I guess. No real danger there. There's gotta be something else going on. We've got a Spectre on board. That's why I'm so wound up. I can't wait for the real mission to start. I can't wait to get blasted in the face. Let me at him. Let me, I, <laughs> Let me got at this. him. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was like, even back in 2007, I thought that was a little cheesy. Like, yeah. I mean, how long have we been watching Star Trek and similar kinds of shows where it's like, oh, the young guy's ready to get out there. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, some there has I'm to dead. be some tension. There has to be some threat. So somebody has to get blasted in the face. Right. So yeah, I just keep saying blasted people. in the face. But, but what was that? Not the important people. Right. Can't of have course. them die. Of yeah. course. Right. Uh, so plot armor. So. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that, that his background with Eden Prime kind of fulfills the whole trope of farm boy goes to war kind of thing, you know, and he, yeah, like he has romanticized it, certainly. But but then he talks about, oh, I got back home. Like he might as well be saying, I got myself a girl back home. She she told me she'll wait for me. You know, my, what I mean? my dog's like, waiting for me to get back and my girl and and, you know, the diner's just not going to run itself in that truck. I've been thinking about fixing up that truck for years. Oh, how I miss Tom's flapjacks. <laughs> oh, and Uncle Jimmy said that he's going to give me his guitar one day and I was going to play it. I'm going to play it up on stage and then propose to my girlfriend who's waiting at me for me at the at the diner. <laughs> and that's 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 what he m mentions while he's dying. His final breath to Shepard is please go and play the guitar and at the diner for my fiance. <laughs> tell her tell her I love her. What song should we play? I, I don't know. We didn't Smoke have a song yet. I, in fact, we hadn't even gone on a date, but I can't get her out of my head. Wait, what? Smoke on the water? <laughs> yeah. Freebird. Play Freebird. It was it was the favorite, our favorite song. Yeah. Or Wonderwall. There we go. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's the trope that I think Jenkins kind of exemplifies there. Um, <laughs> and it's just like he's so he is um he is you know how like some women are criticized as pick me pick me women and pick me girls yeah he's a pick me boy <laughs> he's a pick me boy he, he's very much a pick me boy okay <laughs> so um what do we know anything else about him like what else what else is going on here 
Right. Uh, yeah, he has kind of a cavalier attitude, like we mentioned. It's it is interesting. He refers to this whole mission uh, as a shakedown run. He's essentially headed home to do this nothing burger mission. That's that's what shakedown run means. It means like you know nothing is expected to happen. That it's just a test run. Um, and so I think that that kind of makes him more comfortable because he's headed back to a planet that he knows. He grew up on that colony, and it's supposed to be a test flight mission anyway, so I think he's more comfortable, and he's itching to get out and see some real action, but he's also got his suspicions about the gravity of this mission. Right, he's he got a Spectre on board, right? Like, that's, that's clearly something's going on. Exactly, and he's the first person to mention that. He's the ve- it's, it, here's the very first thing he says to Shepard. What do you think, Commander? We won't be staying on Eden Prime too long, will we? I'm itching for some real action. I sincerely hope you're kidding, Corporal. Your real action usually ends with me patching up crew members in the infirmary. You need to calm down, Corporal. A good soldier stays cool, even under fire. Sorry, Commander, but this waiting's killing me. I've never been on a mission like this before, not one with a Spectre on board. Just treat this like every other assignment you've had and everything will work out. Easy for you to say. You proved yourself in the Blitz. Everybody knows what you can do. This is my big chance. I need to show the brass what I can do. You're young, Corporal. You have a long career ahead of you. Don't do something stupid to mess it up. I like how, I mean, the voice actor for his character is very compelling. Like, they're like, they're like, here's just a handful of lines. Give it your best. And he's like, you got it. It's like, I'm going for the Oscar. Uh, yeah <laughs> right <laughs> no he his his voice actor did, did a fantastic job um because he perfectly conveys that that trope that we were talking about it's clear even through the tones of his voice that he's romanticizing war right yeah like yeah that that seems to be maybe why he went into the alliance uh, and to get away get away from the farm as <laughs> as as nice as those flapjacks are um i don't know what that accent is by the way <laughs> Just it's it's for, like for it's like generic middle America. It's yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, we even heard from the way that he talked about leaving home. Uh, and you the other two voices in that clip, of course, are Paragon Shepard and Chakwas. And Chakwas had at that point already seen some shit. So <laughs> yeah, see, there's already as, some jadedness there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As had Shepard, because he mentions, you know, uh, his involvement. And, and then, you know, so for both of them, I think that this raises alarm bells because they know the truth cost of war. And they see this anxious kid trying to just, yeah, let me at him. Yeah. So Jenkins uh, feels kind of like uh, a stand in. He's, he's one of those characters that's kind of a stand in for the viewer, like in a movie or the player in the game who is asking or saying the things that set the stage for whatever whatever else is happening right kind of this like bridge character does that make sense yeah he's supposed to be the window of familiarity i think right it's, it's almost like shepherd and chakwas are talking to the player right right he's asking the obvious questions and characters and if if you pay enough attention to tv shows and movies there are characters who do this all the time sometimes even the main character will ask an obvious question that they should know the answer to just so that somebody else can say something to fill in something for the audience this happens Exposition more often through dialogue yeah this happens more often than than you'd expect and usually there's a reason for that but in this case I think, I mean, this is the first game. They're trying to get you up to speed with the lore as fast as they can. This is the situation. This is why it's tense or this is why it's 
uncomfortably not tense you know like what's going on here yeah i knew he was gonna die right, <laughs> right. away right <laughs> like it's just yeah like like we mentioned that's just kind of that trope um so mm, he's got particular thoughts on human alien citadel relations and he apparently thinks he knows a lot about public affairs, <laughs> though I think that he has just watched a lot of what they call the vids, you know, so he's, he's watched a lot of movies, I think. Yeah. And uh, here's 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 some bits where that kind of ignorance comes through. What do you know about the Spectres? Basically, they're a shadow organization with a mandate to preserve and protect galactic stability. Protect it at any cost. Don't forget that part. Spectres operate above the law. How do you control agents with unlimited power? I suppose the Council could revoke the Spectre status of an agent who got out of hand. At that point, Citadel Security Services would take over. Those CSEC grunts wouldn't stand a chance. The Spectres were 20 ordinary soldiers. The Spectres police themselves. An agent goes rogue, they send another agent to take him down. That's Spectre justice. The Corporal's confusing romantic legends with reality, Commander. Why don't we have any of our own people in there? We've been trying to get a human accepted into their ranks for years now. So far, it hasn't happened. Hey, Commander, you'd make a good Spectre. You're a war hero, right? Held off an entire enemy fleet during the Blitz single-handed? That's the kind of talent the Spectres are looking for. What can you tell me about Nihilus? I hope we get a chance to see him in action. I heard Nihilus took down an entire enemy platoon all by himself. That Jenkins guy sure knows a lot, and he's really, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot he was a part of that conversation that kind of sets up for the player, like, this is what a Spectre is, and this is why they're bad badass. It's because we're looking at it through Jenkins' freaking perspective. <laughs> like, <laughs> anybody to Jenkins looks like a badass. <laughs> if the first if the first person we talked to about the Spectres was Executor Palin, think about how different of a tone that would have set for the player. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Yeah, so we, we would have been like, oh, wait, there are these like watchmen kind of figures who aren't held accountable for really anything that they do. And mm -hmm. there's no rules they have to play by. Right. These and it hints at that a little sketchy. bit. And then, of course, they answer they answer the questions of you know, why that is. But yeah, like it could have come across way more like, well, you got to be careful with those specters because blah, blah. instead it's like rah, rah, rah. Yeah, they kick everyone's butt. That's Spectre Justice. That's, we, should, we should clip that. That should be something you use in your streams when something, that should something yeah, really yeah. good or really bad happens. You should hit the button and go, that's Spectre Justice. You know what? That's a great idea, and I think I'll do that after I win boss fights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Spectre Justice. So, yeah, yeah. Unlike some of the older crew members, what's interesting to me is that, that Jenkins doesn't have the same biases against Turians. So yeah. he doesn't verbalize them there. In fact, right. it almost sounds like he's looking up to Nihilus, whereas uh, Presley would have told us, oh, yeah, uh, Turians are sketchy as hell. Get them off my ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I mean, he does seem to have that like pro-military fantasy thing. So he would look up to the Turians in general for being military badasses, even if they aren't specters. I would imagine he probably just goes, wow, look at their ships. Look how awesome they are. Yeah, that's power. That's Turian justice. <laughs> that's uh, Turian power, baby. So, <laughs> I think the other reason is he's too young to have served in the first contact war. Yeah. So yeah. he doesn't hold that grudge 
inside the same way other people. He's not traumatized. Uh, like, like would have. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. He didn't see awful things. Um, and I think it's also important to note that aside from this opening cinematic, Jenkins is the first person in actual gameplay who acknowledges the choices you've made for your Shepard's background. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe it depends on who you talk to, right? Uh, who you talk to first. But Jenkins is certainly one of the first people to acknowledge that you have made uh, these selections for your background, your psych profile, maybe. Uh, and he sets the tone then for what you can expect interaction wise in the game with the choices you've made. Uh, so although he's like this rah-rah kind of farm boy, he is a stand-in for the player in terms of this is the developing team talking to you, the player, mm -hmm. and telling you, hey, look, we're going to interact with things that you've chosen for your character. Yeah, so I mean, it's it seems like a necessary piece of the puzzle. And once you shine a light on it, you like nobody's going to play through this the first game again and not <laughs> after listening to this episode and go, oh, J oh, it's, it's going to become very obvious when Jenkins shows up. But yeah, I mean, the, the fact that like it hasn't bothered me, I mean, it seems a little bit heavy handed, but it hasn't bothered me to this point. I'm sure a lot of people just kind of go through the game and it doesn't really it doesn't stand out too badly. So it must work. It, it, I think it does. I think it's pretty campy, you know, but yeah. it's also like, you know, Mass Effect has become a cult classic. So I feel like Jenkins fulfills the critical role in that cult classic of like, you know, this isn't this guy isn't too serious. He's going to die soon. A certain whatever. measure of camp like that's part of the ingredients in that. Right. And he's just sit a little <laughs> yes. bit. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so well, I mean, he doesn't survive, though, right? Yeah, he, he's dead <laughs> yeah. real quick. Uh, it's a real Yamcha moment for my Dragon Ball Z friends, but it serves a purpose. This game lets you know right off the bat People on your squad are going to die, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. You can't save them all. And that is a lesson that I think sticks throughout the series, through Mass Effect 3 and Andromeda. Uh, because, you know, it's one of the lessons we're taught right at the beginning, Mass Effect 1, right at the beginning of Mass Effect 3. The child dies, shot down in the aircraft uh, from, from the Reaper. Yeah. And it's a repeated lesson that's intentionally put in there so that we understand the toll, the burden it's going to take on Shepard. And the stakes, um, the stakes of um, even as a player, the stakes of the game, just because you come across a character and you feel like they're going to become a companion doesn't mean they are necessarily safe. Exactly. And it is kind of a mindfuck that way because we're allowed to rank up his skills. So we think maybe he will be around for a little while. Yeah. And yeah. that was a deliberate action from the team, I think, so that we could a understand how the skill system works and b get a little bit more invested in Jenkins than maybe we otherwise would have. I wonder. So <laughs> before we move to the next section, just off the off the script here. You would be really nuts is if somebody did a mod where Jenkins survives and that becomes I think like that has been done. Has it been done? And then he becomes like a key character through the next oh, I, two games. That would be even I crazier. Actually, I, I don't know how that would work. Maybe you'd just have to. I mean, there's like a really like I can think of a poor man's mod version to do that. And you just replace the Caden model with Jenkins. Yeah. OK, I, I would be an easier way to do it. But that would be really funny to be like, oh, no, we're going to totally voice out this character and he's going to be in all three games, just like any of the other main characters. Um, yeah. 
That would be that well, would be people, hilarious. I won't be surprised if that kind of thing happens more with Mass Effect as AI becomes more intelligent. And you've seen there's Skyrim mods with fully yep. voiced AI companions. Yep. It's not ethical, and I don't. I haven't installed them because it is taking from other. You well, know, yeah, you know, yeah. Voice actors. Another way to do it would be to just voice act his parts, replace the few lines that he already has with a new voice actor, and then voice act all new parts with a new voice actor. Right. Sure. And yeah. then and then you could write them however you want. So maybe he just gets dumber and dumber as like, you know, some shows like a character like that, so like by season four or five, they're like really, really dumb in a way that they weren't in the first season. He feels like the perfect character or something like that. But um, yeah, if you like wanted to <laughs> if you wanted to pay someone and be like, hey, you know, uh, you're going to be Jenkins in this mod, uh, <laughs> which mods are always free anyway, unless you're that kind of mod author but mm -hmm. uh then yeah i would totally be down to <laughs> to uh download that kind of mod uh, jenkins forever mod yeah you could but you could do the voice they could just get you to do it and you could be jenkins i would love to <laughs> if someone out there is a mod author and is thinking about making a mod like this like just just hire me as jenkins I, I promise yeah. i promise you won't regret it commander commander <laughs> all right so does jenkins ever come up again or is this it He's mentioned as a callback um, by Chakwas in one of her stories in Mass Effect 2, which is nice. Um, you know, it reminds you that the game isn't just this sitcom where one episode doesn't have a bearing on the next episode. It has continuity and it helps us feel like the lore is this living thing. And it also is a nice reminder that Chakwas doesn't forget about the people who served with her. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, he is a character, even though he doesn't last very long. So it makes sense that there's still a little bit more in there. So is that it for Jenkins? His name is on the memorial wall in the Normandy in Mass Effect 3. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Unless <laughs> I've missed something. And if I have, I'd love to hear from our listeners. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's go thank our patrons and we will be back to talk about Nihilus. So don't go anywhere. All right. So everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect to learn more. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but 
feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this lorecast is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, this is the part of the show where we get to thank our patrons and welcome our newest patrons, Alyssa, I, and uh, Ace Out of Time. Welcome to the Patreon. I'm glad you guys are here. I hope you're enjoying the ad-free episodes and anything else that you signed up for. Uh, and thank you to all 66 of our current patrons, including our Shepherd tier patrons, Kolkishins, Ed Boy, Kirasi, Lieutenant Tosino, and William. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, if you are interested in helping to support the show and getting things like t-shirts and stickers, joining us for patron chats, which, by the way, are coming up at the end of this week. This episode is going to go up as soon as I have it edited and ready. Uh, but that will be on the 24th, which is for us in the U.S. the day after Thanksgiving. So hopefully that doesn't get in the way. It's the last Friday of the month. So let us know. Chime in on Discord. Let us know what you want to talk about and all of that. And uh, we've got some. Um, oh, by the way, that's patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast. We got some new reviews that came in. And if you leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it out on a future episode. This one uh, comes from TJ Bridges in the US who writes Information is my weapon, robots, it's good. <laughs> that's the title. Um, and they, they do have one critique for us. They say, I have to say my one issue slash negative first, then give all my praise afterwards. The only thing that breaks my heart is when a new episode is not available. Like this last week when I was sick. I really look forward to it weekly. Would love more consistency on that front. And, you know, we do our best to get it out there every week. I think we might miss a launch day three or four times a year at the most. So that's like regular vacation schedule, right? You get a few weeks off every year. Um, but they go on and say, with that out of the way, I have been listening to the Lorecast since the top of the year. I love it. I've been a huge Mass Effect fan since I played Mass Effect 2 on PS3 when it was first ported over and have played all the console installments multiple times. I can't count how many times I've played the trilogy. I can't get enough of the Lorecast. N7 is the living codex. Robots has some interesting real life commentary that ropes it all together. It's Mass Effect everything 401 meets real life everything 402. The show has influenced me to play through the trilogy again. Keep up with great work with the great work, gentlemen. Look forward to having two episodes a week soon. LOL. When you begin considering a third permanent host, I'll put my application in. This is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Uh, I wonder if they got to the part where we were d- dropping extra episodes. Remember when we did that? I don't think. Yeah, I maybe maybe TJ hasn't gotten to that part of the show. We, uh, we at, at some point for like several months, we were doing two episodes yeah. a week. Yeah. But then we were going long and like. Our plan was to just make it two like thirty minute episodes, <laughs> right? And each episode minutes. became like a big long episode in itself. Yeah, yeah. And then that was just that was a lot of work. And uh, so I am flattered, TJ, that uh, that you want us to do more. I feel like that's always a good sign. Um, but I, <laughs> I, this is also something I do on the side, and uh, my day job keeps me pretty exhausted. So um, 
Yeah, I'll put I'll put as much effort as I possibly can into this, this <laughs> show, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if we can do two one hour episodes a week. Yeah, we, we try to only ever miss episodes also when one of us is sick or and even then sometimes one person will just do an episode because it'll be a patron chat week or something like that. Uh, so we, we do the best we can. Um, we're glad you enjoy it a lot. And then we've got one more from AFM 99 in the US who writes, I love the show. Great content as always. Leaving a review again because you guys are amazing. The episode talking about N7 Day reminded me of the scene from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where Jake Johnson's Spider-Man is explaining to the other Spider-People Miles' power. I genuinely laughed out loud. Um, I've seen the episode. I don't, I don't, I can't draw a corollary between the way we sounded explaining and the way they sound. I have to go back and watch the Spider-Verse again. Um, Anyway, but thank you. Yeah, I, I don't get that reference either, <laughs> right, to be honest. Uh, and the fact, and the, it's funny because I am wearing a Spider-Man shirt right now. But, <laughs> nice. nice. Um, but I, I wish I'm going to have to go back and look that up. Yeah. But thank you for taking the time to drop those reviews. And you can always rate the show on Spotify as well. Share it with your friends, all of that stuff. Let's move on with the rest of the show. Here we go. Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. So Jenkins dies pretty quick. We have another death talk about another body bag. <laughs> I actually wrote that for Tom in the, in the like, notes and I could see him reading it and in the cogs and turning I, and he's yeah. like, I don't know if I want to refer to this guy as a body bag. He's, I'll do it. Nihilus is a body bag. Yeah, he becomes a, a body, body bag. Yeah. He, he lasts about like 20 minutes into the game. Um, yeah. And dude, I, I promise of, you, I remember playing this the first time and being like, that dude looks freaking awesome. And then he dies. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like no, Jenkins wasn't a surprise. Nihilus, on the other hand, was like, okay, that's the one that made me go, okay, I guess the stakes are real here. Cool. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I felt like that because I, I remember seeing Nihilus and being like, man, that guy is badass. Uh, and it turns out that he's actually more badass than we knew in the lore. I mean, not only is he more badass than Jenkins, that's evident, but he has very little screen time. And yet he is one of the fandom's most admired characters. So what we're going to get into might change some, some people's minds uh, for, for Nihilus's full history. But let's first, let's talk about the background that I think people admire. Um, most of what we know about him in terms of the lore is actually from conversations with other people, not with Nihilus, because he gives us some exposition into the game and the, the Mass Effect universe itself. And there's an old codex entry on... I believe it's a Bioware forum. It's it's MassEffect.Bioware.com. It's since defunct, but I was able to find this by putting it in the Wayback Machine. Uh, and the there's a lot of great posts on that old forum, by the way. But um, there's uh, like it's a codex entry, and there used to be a series of these codex entries on there, right? And so I have the one for Nihilus pulled up here in front of me. Uh, it tells us that he is one of the most decorated Spectre agents in among the Citadel Council's entire Spectre force, and that he was born in a small mercenary outpost outside Turian hierarchy space. So he learned to fight the hard way, uh, or he learned the hard way rather to fight for what he wanted. <laughs> he learned how to fight very difficultly. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, they, all right. they strapped cinder blocks to his knees and <laughs> threw him in the bog and then said, fight your way out. By the way, here's some piranhas. <laughs> well, okay. um, yeah. So he, uh, he also, he also is like a victim of childhood trauma. Um, his dad died when he was 16 and then his mom forced him to join the Turian military, which is actually interesting that the old codex entry would say this because as I understand it, Turian military service is compulsory. Right. Right. Um, I wonder if. I wonder if there's different types of military service, if there's like the compulsory, but then there's like the officer track, like there's that kind of thing where you like at 16, he could have gone into some sort of program that would have focused on military for a lifelong career rather than just being a time of service, something like that. Yeah, and I, I bet it would be different if you were like a nobles kid, right? If you yeah. were like part of the landed gentry uh, of Turian society, or maybe it wouldn't. Maybe, you know, if your father was a general, you're definitely going in the military. I don't know. Um, but for for Nihilus, it's not that case because he was viewed as an outsider and the Codex says it made his life harder uh, because he was always uh, at the top of his class and yet people didn't accept him. Yeah. Yeah. The whole stratification of different social structure and all of that. Yeah. And you could probably tell that because of, you know, if you go back and listen to our episode on on the Turians for our listeners, we talked about the face paints uh, and the different facial markings and how that was used to identify basically which tribe or nation you were a part of or which family uh, rather. And I'm guessing that with Nihilus's face paint, it was very evident for anyone where he came from or maybe because he was an outsider, they looked at his face paint and thought, I don't recognize that at all. Right. You, you're clearly you an outsider. This is a, yeah, you're part of some other right. tribe or something like that. Your family holds no political power, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but he he did really well for himself. Like, he was able to prove himself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and his skills were like, you know, like I said, top of his class, the Codex tells us, the Codex also tells us, as a soldier, his skills were unquestionable. His attitude, however, often got him in trouble. So here's another way in which he is diverting from the Turian standard, right? Turian standard is very, you know, you accept the commands of your superiors, you follow them to the best of your ability, and you don't ask questions. Well, here's Nihilus's attitude. On several occasions, he disobeyed direct orders to do what he thought was best, the Codex says. Although his instincts were usually proven right, his notoriety grew. Even when he single-handedly routed an enemy patrol and saved his squad from ambush, his commanding officers berated him for his recklessness. His military career seemed to stall before it even began. So there's some fact behind Jenkins' comment about him routing an entire enemy group or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, though Jenkins sounded like he was embellishing, yeah, there's some truth behind that. And uh, and it looks like Nihilus is, is reminding me of the kind of guy who is extremely great at his job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But be, maybe because he came from like, an, he's not one of the cool kids. He's right. not one of the he's not right. part of the popular kids. His family name is not recognizable in the town in which you live. And because maybe I can imagine him because he was so proficient at his job, people were laying on extra work onto him. Yeah, I would imagine sometimes in those situations, too, when somebody identifies you or people identify you as being particularly good at something, you also get a pass for other stuff like 
he's so good and competent that sometimes he just doesn't follow all the instructions, but that's okay because we're willing to deal with that because he's so good at what he does. Yeah, um, I'm thinking that from the codex here that Tur- that that the Turian society wasn't going to give as much room for that, and yeah. especially not for an outsider. So I'm thinking, even though he was you know extremely uh, skilled as a soldier he was given even a harder time. I think he was probably under extra scrutiny. Yeah, but he didn't get straight up kicked out. He just got kind of transferred a few times is is what it seems like. So that's right. He was reassigned to a new squad. Uh, I guess it happened multiple times. And ultimately, he was introduced to none other than Saren Arterius. Yeah, this is really interesting because, you know, we all know about Saren, but like these two come together and it actually helps Nihilus become a specter. Saren is like a serious crossroads for a lot of different major characters in the series. I mean, of course, there's Shepard's interactions with Saren, but there, here's Nihilus, and the elusive man also has a history with Saren. So Nihilus uh, met Saren, and then I guess he made a, a real, real good impression on Saren, uh, which I'm not sure if that's a good thing, knowing who Saren is, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah. But they became friends. And then as we hear in some dialogue in Mass Effect 1, actually between uh, Nihilus and Saren, you can tell that they're pretty close. And it was apparent that uh, Saren was Nihilus's mentor. Uh, and then Nihilus was the one who actually recruited Saren into the Spectres, uh, believing and, and having witnessed Ser- uh, Nihilus's Man. skills. Shepherd. Oh crap! I'm I'm prepping the <laughs> the video, and I, I accidentally played it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Uh, next, what do we do next? <laughs> so, so I was I was gonna mention that the fact that Nihilus wasn't good at, at taking direct orders, you know, and he would he would disobey these things. He was basically the the embodiment of renegade, right, for the morality system in Mass Effect. Because he was like that, it actually allowed him to be a better specter. Be that good yeah. or bad morally. Right, right. Because as a specter, you have to make those kinds of snap decisions and you're not just reporting up the chain anymore. So yeah yes yeah we knew he became he became rather one of the the council's top agents and um he's gone on a lot of missions he's apparently cool under pressure uh that much is evident from you know the the very little we actually get to interact with him in mass effect one um and the codex also says and i found this interesting he has an uncanny ability to find an enemy's weakness and exploit it Though his methods aren't as brutal as Saren's, he will not hesitate to efficiently and thoroughly eradicate anything or anyone that stands in his way. Now, that sounds a little dark, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it depends on if you're on the same side or not, right? Like, if if that person is on your side, then you're like, okay, this is great. But... Uh, yeah yeah but i'm thinking of like you know the classic tales of heroes that we were we were taught growing up that that true heroes protect the weak and there are some things that heroes will never do sure because although it could help them get their job done quicker it would be wrong to do so right right but I i feel like we rarely see that actually play out in real situations most of the time the heroes end up doing what they need to do and then the history books kind of whitewash it in 
in post, <laughs> if that makes sense. I'm not justifying it. I'm just th that, especially during times of d desperate times during war and those kinds of things, oftentimes those moral boundaries get pushed because it's more important to win than it is to follow your moral compass, because that might mean you lose. And then that's no good for anybody. So like oftentimes the heroes end up doing that. They end up being like Nihilus and then they get celebrated for carrying the day and, and you know, doing, you know, nothing was going to stop them from achieving victory for for us. You know, that kind of thing that like uber patriotic, like stop at no cost. Everyone's the enemy sort of thing, which isn't really real, but sometimes is necessary. I'm not I think I'm not comes, justifying. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. I think it comes down to viewing the difference and if you can differentiate between doing what's right and winning. Right. right. Not all the time yeah. yes. is you know, do the ends justify the means? That kind absolutely, of thing. But, absolutely. Yeah. And and from a moral standpoint, absolutely there's a there's a huge difference between winning and doing the right thing. Sometimes losing is the right thing to do, or sometimes potentially losing because you're going out of your way to do the right thing is actually the right thing to do. But oftentimes when it, when there is a an entire group of people, an entire army, an entire nation behind you, the winning becomes the thing that most people think is also the right thing to do because it, it includes their lives or whatever. And I think this is particularly interesting for Nihilus because he has been talked up to us at that point by the time we actually meet him in Mass Effect 1. And then you look at this codex and it, 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 it praises his level of skills, right? It mentions how he doesn't really obey a lot of commands, though. And then at the end, it mentions that he will eliminate anyone in his way, <laughs> right, no matter right. the cost. Right. It's like... Wow, you know, that sounds cool in fiction to a lot of people, but I guarantee you, if you run into someone like that, you're going to think they're an asshole. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a reason why those assholes get jobs. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. They, um, they become their tools <laughs> in more than one way. They become a tool that does one thing very well. And if that's the thing you need to, to be done, then people keep them around. You know, like it's. Yeah. So it's dark. this is like. We learn the more we dive into the lore that Nihilus wasn't actually that great a dude, uh, you know, uh, but we don't learn that right off the bat when we meet Nihilus in Mass Effect 1. So we we actually don't know many details about him at all when we first meet him on the ship um, because it's right off the bat. It's right at the beginning of the game. Um, we do go into that conversation with some kind of concept of there being interspecies tensions lingering between humanity and the Turians and some on the crew almost fearing him. Um, and despite all that, he still comes across as kind of a good guy when we talk to him, and, and I have, we have a clip here. Obviously, this goes beyond mere human interests, Commander. This discovery could affect every species in Council space. Why didn't we keep the beacon for ourselves? You humans don't have the best reputation. Some species see you as selfish, too unpredictable, too independent, even dangerous. Sharing that beacon will improve relations with the Council. Plus, we need their scientific expertise. They know more about the Protheans than we do. The Beacon's not the only reason I'm here, Shepard. Nihilus wants to see you in action, Commander. He's here to evaluate you. Guess that explains why I bump into him every time I turn around. The Alliance has been pushing for this for a long time. Humanity wants a larger role in shaping interstellar policy. 
We want more say with the Citadel Council. The Spectres represent the Council's power and authority. If they accept a human into their ranks, it shows how far the Alliance has come. You held off an enemy assault during the Blitz single-handed. You showed not only courage, but also incredible skill. That's why I put your name forward as a candidate for the Spectres. Why would a Turian want a human in the Spectres? Not all Turians resent humanity. Some of us see the potential of your species. We see what you have to offer to the rest of the galaxy, and to the Spectres. We are an elite group. It's rare to find an individual with the skills we seek. I don't care that you're human, Shepard. I only care that you can do the job. So, I noticed that there's kind of a parallel here between Nihilus's personality and what most people are considering humans to be like. You, you yes. Thing? Like, um, like and, unpredictable, and thank- willing to do dangerous things and this, you know, against the odds, like... Like, yeah, maybe he finds some kindred s- spirit in humanity in that regard. And by the way, thanks to Kane Shepard on YouTube for that clip. But in terms of how Nihilus is talking about, you know, Shepard asks, why would a Turian put a human's name forward for the Spectres? And he's yeah. so surprised, right? Because he just expects that Turians would resent and hate humanity. But, but Nihilus is quick to say, well, not all Turians resent humanity. In fact, you know, I see your potential. Now, I think that this is interesting because he says, you know, I don't care that you're human, Shepard. I just care that you can get the job done. At first, that sounds good because it's like, oh, good. He's not being xenophobic of my race. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Uh, So thank you for that. And thank you for breaking the mold. But then you, you dig a little bit deeper. And it's not because he actually cares about humanity in any capacity. He's it's just he views Shepard as a tool to get the job done. Right. Right. So, so that's why I said that he comes across as kind of a good dude off the bat because he's breaking that mold of, of the angry Turians not liking humanity. Um, but then you dig a little deeper and we see that, that Nihilus was doing things the way that he was basically taught. You know, Saren recruited Nihilus, not because I think Saren noticed some stellar heroic morality in Nihilus, but sheer, just about sheer skill. Um... And maybe it comes across a little bit like a meritocracy thing with Nihilus, which isn't surprising because the Turian society is supposed to be a complete meritocracy. Um, but we learn some more stuff a, later, a little bit later on about Nihilus. But before then, uh, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't stick around very much. Very, very no, long. he doesn't stick around for very long. Yeah. So here's here's his death. This isn't your mission, Saren. What are you doing here? The Council thought you could use some help on this one. I wasn't expecting to find the Geth here. The situation's bad. Don't worry. I've got it under control. And then he's dead. And then Saren guns him down, shoots him right in the back of the head. Uh, total betrayal. But, you know, uh, I gotta say, if Nihilus wasn't so insistent on, I work better on my own, when he was in that drop, and, then, and you know, they're approaching the drop zone, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Uh, but, you know, he dies shortly after that, we hear a gunshot, and that's the end of Nihilus. That's how he dies. 
Um, so, uh, do we know anything else about him? I mean, we've been talking about that kind of darker side and his willingness to kind of do anything. Yeah, well, we know he wasn't actually the greatest dude, uh, at least according to Samara in Mass Effect 2. She tells us that she actually fought him before because she saw him kill an unarmed civilian. And presumably while he was on a mission for the council as a specter. So here's Samara talking about that. Why did you fight a specter? A Torian named Nihilus. He may have been on council business, but I witnessed him kill an unarmed civilian. Following the code, I attacked. Nihilus seemed like an honorable Turian, and a good specter. He may have been. However, killing unarmed civilians is wrong. How did the fight turn out? I had the advantage, but he was good. He returned fire and tried to run. We played cat and mouse in the wilderness for two weeks. It was exhilarating. Finally, he created a situation in which my only options were to let an innocent die or pursue him. The code compelled me to save the innocent, and he escaped. I admire how he adapted and used my code against me. Ah, the old, uh, speaking of Spider-Man, Spider-Man villain tactic. Yes, yes. Uh, Spider-Man, either you save Gwen Stacy or this entire bus full of puppies. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, exhilarate. So. Two weeks of exhilarating cat and mouse in the wilderness. That's exhilarating cat and mouse. Um, yeah. Well, oh, thanks to Gathering Ghost on YouTube and then the previous clip, uh, Mass Effect World on YouTube for those clips. But, you know, although I question Samaro's own morality, I do trust her to tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about how the Justicars a while ago, we talked about how rigid they are in their code. And that I don't really agree with that. There are circumstances that change some, some things, but I do trust Samara to give us the unfettered narrative of, as best she can, how she witnessed things. So I feel like we can take her account there with a lot of heavy weight. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so what about his death and what happens afterwards? Right. Like we mentioned, he's betrayed by Saren at the spaceport on Eden Prime, shot him right in the back. And since Saren was his mentor, he never saw it coming. So quite the opposite of Jenkins, who charges headfirst into battle and then just gets lit up by Geth. Yeah, poor Jenkins. I mean, I I guess that's true to his name. He charges right into battle and gets destroyed. Leroy Jenkins. He just Leroy Jenkins himself. There's a lot of funny clips of the, you know, audio from the Leroy Jenkins playing over top of when Jenkins mm-hmm. goes in. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, Shepard did like order him with a hand signal to advance. I wonder if the actual Leroy Jenkins clip happened before or during the development of Mass Effect 1. Like, is there any actual early aughts thing? Yeah. Like so. But like development takes multiple years. I'm wondering if like. If that was actually an influence, like maybe this was a reference to World of Warcraft. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, So but, you know, those are two very different deaths, because here's a guy who's incredibly skilled, very courageous, Nihilus, and he gets betrayed because he's shot in the back of the head when he's least expecting it. And then here's Jenkins, not experienced at all, way too gung ho gets gunned down by Geth right in front of Shepard. Yeah. Um, yeah. This so, is dangerous for everybody. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a Jenkins or a Nihilus. Like, and, 
it teaches players lessons really quickly. You know, not everyone's trustworthy and sometimes heroic type figures are going to die with little heads up. Uh, and then there's other characters who, uh, you know, just die with little fanfare because that's war. Yeah. The chaos of war. So, Hey, yeah. at least they did yeah, that part so. really well. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I did want to, I, I did want to kind of wrap that up with Jenkins was a pure soul. You know, I, I don't think that <laughs> Jenkins ever did anything morally questionable like Nihilus. I think it was pretty clear there from what we heard from Samara. Nihilus is manipulative. He he believes the ends justify the means. And um, it's, you know, I think it speaks for himself. He was endangering innocent, maybe not innocent, but unarmed civilians when he clearly <laughs> yeah. could have just taken them into custody if he already had a hold of them. Right. Right. Yeah. Not not the best so. dude in the world, but okay. Yeah. Um, and I also found this part pretty interesting um, that when Nihilus died, all of his personal files went to Saren because I guess because it, he was another senior specter and that was his mentor. So maybe he had signed some kind of will or maybe that's the protocol for where the files go. But these probably gave Saren a very good idea of Shepard's background since Nihilus was recruiting Shepard. So Nihilus would have been building a dossier on Shepard to present the council after that mission. And I think that that is probably why Saren is so influential over the council and he knows exactly the right things to say mm -hmm. based off mm -hmm. of Shepard's background, Shepard's personnel file, and it probably also helps him in trying to avoid Shepard after it's revealed that he really was behind Eden Prime. Yeah, it's having some insight about somebody who is going to become your enemy. Like, absolutely. That, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. All right. Well, that's Jenkins and Nihilus. It's going to wrap it yeah. up for this episode. Uh, cool stuff. I mean, you know, short-lived characters, but still interesting. So Yeah, I don't I don't ever anticipate us going back and talking about Jenkins and Nihilus again. So the next time I see one of those Discord or YouTube comments or Twitter comments that are like, hey, do an Lorecast episode on Jenkins. I First of all, <laughs> I know that most of those people are joking. But second of all, if I see another one, I can just now post the link to this episode. Oh, yeah. And we be did like, it. you know what? It's right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did it. <laughs> awesome. What else do you have going on before we head out? Um, I am streaming Mass Effect uh, on Saturday. I'm going to be completing my Mass Effect 1 playthrough with my personal canon playthrough I'm got, I got going on. Um, I am also uh, streaming next week sometime before uh before wednesday i think mm -hmm. i don't know things are kind of up in the air uh but you can find me on twitch and twitter at in seven legend and like i mentioned last week um i sent in my lines for episode two now of the avengers audio drama and the first one i believe is up so if you just type in avengers audio drama and spotify or wherever you get your podcast you should find it and uh listen cool. listen actually you know what just go ahead and see if you can listen and find out which role I am. <laughs> See if you can figure it out. Also, you guessed it on a podcast, a different podcast, not our podcast. I did. Yeah, I was on uh, Bond Diesel's uh, Mass Effect Hypecast, and we were talking about, you know, reflecting more on In Seven Day, and and we were shooting around a few ideas, and I had said, you know what, 
given all of the different disparate symbols between Andromeda and the Milky Way that we've seen and, and, and things that weren't necessarily connected when we played through those games in the series, but we're seeing them in the same frame now, wouldn't it be interesting if time travel or time alteration is an aspect in the next Mass Effect? And then immediately... When that episode went up, there were YouTube commenters saying, oh, my God, what an awful idea. I do not want time travel. <laughs> and just to be just yeah. to be clear, guys, I don't want it either. Uh, but, yeah, but, but I'm just it trying could to make be sense. something they're considering. So, All right. Yeah, because yeah. you also got the dark energy plot line, you know, affecting the mass of stars. And, you mm-hmm. know, we know if you affect mass enough or if you affect gravity, it will also have the probability to affect how time passes. Yeah, there, so, there are theories out there that people are playing with, with the idea of what if you actually could move faster than light? Could you actually go backwards in time? Would that would that tr- would that change your trajectory through time also? So I don't know, maybe. I mean, right. And, and, you know, if it was even if it was something as trite and overplayed in, in sci-fi as a wormhole, technically that's sure. time travel. So, yeah, yeah. Time and space. They're the same thing. They're just different parts of the same thing as far as we know right now. Yeah. But, but uh, that's that's yeah. uh, that was fun. And uh, yeah, you, if anyone's curious, just type in uh, Mass Effect Typecast. I think wherever you'd find your podcast and on YouTube, you could go find that episode. Uh, it was broken into two parts. But yeah, that's what I got going on for now. Awesome. And of course, I've got my my other Lorecast shows. So Starfield Lorecast, Mass, or Mass Effect is the one I'm doing right now. Elder Scrolls, Fallout, and uh, Lord of the Rings Lorecast, and a bunch of other shows from other hosts over at robotsradio.net. So go check that stuff out. And we'll be back in just a few days to talk with our patrons. So that'll be fun. We'll see you after Thanksgiving if you're here in the U.S. And even if you aren't in the U.S., it'll be after the U.S. Thanksgiving because that's how time works. All right. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Stay safe out there and don't either run into a crowd or accidentally, you know, stumble on a situation you can't avoid a shot in the face from. Here we go. Bye, everybody. Yeah. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nyx.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.